Okay, so the now is over, the later is here, as we present to you our penultimate episode of Firefly Now Serenity Later. I've decided on the fly, it was supposed to be the final one, uh, as we talk about Serenity, as the title suggests. I can't do it alone, my name is Matt Waters, I am the dude that normally talks first, but I'm joined by the guy that talks better. And that's Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you this evening, afternoon, whatever time it is in your space age country? Uh, it's really fucking hot mm. in America right now, so that's kind of annoying. So um, that steady, that steady white noise in the background—that is the the dulcet tones of the air conditioner, the AC, the air con, as uh, those in the the Commonwealth like to call it. I mean, we just uh, call it unnecessary because it's even when it's hot, we just open windows. We don't destroy the planet. But hey, yeah. you do you guys. Pull out those Paris Accords, etc. Alright, so, <laughs> Serenity is a movie based on, or following on from, Firefly, shockingly enough. Same title as the pilot episode, so that makes things nice and confusing for our episodic titling as episode one Well, not really. You put quotations around episodes, you italicize movie titles, it's not that hard, Matt. Keep up. This is true. I actually do even do that now you say it, so I feel silly. But that's the theme of our last year, almost year of podcasting. So here we are. Where we left things, uh, we were teasing having a special guest and we attempted to do this, but someone's internet wasn't working out. So instead, I interviewed that special guest about uh, their experience with this movie as a pre-existing fan of Firefly before the movie came out as Mike and I have a special situation with it. I'm going to release that interview in full as the next sort of bonus episode after this. So when you don't hear three voices, when we uh, teased for a couple of weeks that you would, that's why. Anyway, on with the show. Uh, Mike and I, as we said, did not watch Firefly before Serenity. We saw this movie out of nowhere. And we're like, ah, right. And then discovered Firefly retroactively. So... That will be our slant on all of this. We will attempt to address like how well it works as a as a standalone piece. And then for anyone who's listening to this who was like, Oh god, but you didn't talk about this because you weren't fans, just call it for a week. We will have someone to, to fight that battle for you. So where we left off, uh, Firefly was cancelled in 2002 uh, with three unaired episodes, uh, which were The Message, Heart of Gold, and... Trash. Trash and trash, ironic. They threw trash in the trash. Fox was said to have barely supported the show to begin with. They didn't like the pessimism. They didn't like the westernness. So it was cancelled. But Joss immediately began writing a film because he was determined to do something with this. He was prepared to do a low-budget TV movie. Uh, luckily for him, someone at Universal was very enthusiastic about getting this made as a mid-budget release. I say mid-budget as budgets inflate to the moon these days. Uh, DVD sales helped with all this, and in 2004 they officially announced they were making a movie called Serenity, and they signed everyone except Wash and Book to, uh, I guess, multi-film options would be the terminology, uh, and spoilers, Wash and Book uh, don't survive this movie, so uh, that's that's why, but hey. Uh, so they weren't just looking at this as a one-and-done necessarily like it, it wasn't a hundred percent set up to be a franchise again but they were leaving the door open and uh released in september 2005 on a budget of 39 million dollars and it kind of made that back but 
as we know, you have to account for marketing, so I would imagine it may have lost money. Who knows what the DVD sales were like. It doesn't matter. It was a triumph, because Firefly was resurrected. About two hours long, written and directed by Joss Whedon, set six months after the show ends, and it's, it's the River show, everybody. We finally find out more about River. Uh, we finally see the Reavers for the first time, find out about where they came from. And they are trying to evade an alliance uh, agent known simply as the operative. He pushes them a little bit too far, and uh, it propels them to solving a mystery and attempting to uh, bring down the alliance a little bit. People die, good guys win. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, we we had a beloved TV show, and we uh, we now have a movie. And I think the biggest thing that one has to talk about when things are adapted from one medium to another is the immediate differences. So we're going to start this discussion off. The two things that jump out of you right away is as soon as the, the whole cast gets properly brought into the film, the dialogue is paced much differently than at that of the show. They attempt a very ambitious um, faux long cut to start off the movie, pretty much. There's a whole montage before that. And the dialogue's come out rapid fire. There's a lot. It's a lot of like West Wing walk and talk kind of style of... Um, <laughs> Of dialogue it feels a little off it feels a little rushed the jokes don't land at a full hundred percent it's almost like it's almost a little too cute the pace it just doesn't feel like firefly now that in itself the fact that it doesn't feel like firefly is not the end of the world because this isn't firefly this is serenity this is a movie it's not a tv show but i don't think the execution here was what it needed to be and it really stands out after watching each episode of Firefly two or three times a week for, you know, six weeks, two months, whatever it was, it really stood out here as just being a little bit off. You know, it's kind of the effect I often I often find with the unnecessary sequel or uh, threequel or whatever. Whenever a franchise lingers on a little too long, the whole thing just kind of feels a little off. The big ones that jump out to me are uh, the third Mummy and the third Rush Hour movie. This whole thing just felt a little bit off. Uh, luckily, though, they recover... And within a couple of scenes or so, they, they kind of get the rhythm back or they find a better balance between the two. And uh, it, everything flows along pretty nicely. The other big thing is just the look of the show. It is We do not have warm colors anymore. This is a darker story with a darker tone. And thus we get moodier colors. We get a lot of dark blues populating the screen. We do not have the Orange same sense of home. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think the, the ships around does not feel quite as much like home. In, no. this, in this movie i think the characters make you feel at home but the ship is not home quite in the same way they don't really luxuriate uh in terms of screen time in the ship the ship almost feels it's just a ship that's just why they it's just yes a little bit i, I think for long time viewers i should say it would feel very nice to be back there but i think you know, you're watching this movie for the first time, you probably don't have all that much of a connection with the ship. And uh, they really don't attempt to make it feel like home. Which is possibly thematically appropriate, because, you know, not to jump the gun here, but I think the big thing about this movie is that Malcolm Reynolds is kind of lost at sea, in a way it might seem strange to someone who had just watched the last couple of episodes of the show, because he seemed very much at peace at the end of Objects in Space, and um, and he had found his, uh, his bearing, his rudder I, I don't know shit terms um but he's, <laughs> he's lost he, yes he's now lost at sea and um 
this ship is not quite what it used to be because it does not have the people that made it what it was. I, I think the tone, the color schemes, all very, very appropriate. And they figure out the dialogue eventually, so... Yeah, uh, I think a lot of that is sort of a hazard of the medium. Movies have this kind of a look to them. Uh, it looks... I mean, obviously it's made for a much higher budget or uh, higher, more dollars per minute, I guess, uh, would be a way of doing it. And you can see that straight away. Like, And you see it throughout, like the CG models on the ships and everything are much better. Uh, it, it looks like a movie, you know? It doesn't look like a long episode. And I think it actually has aged decently as well, considering it came out, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And you're right, like the, the opening sort of dialogue... Some of it is a little bit try-hardy as they attempt to give us a crash course on who everyone is, and some of their lines don't quite come off right. Like, the mal-to-wash comments are a little bit like, hmm, almost. And uh, Simon is a little bit whiny. The sound mixing is a little bit odd on some of it. I I don't know, but it is a very... I do think it's a very effective first scene, even if it is somewhat lacking in terms of finding the right mark uh, compared to the show. Uh, in terms I, of, I think it's important that you bring up that Simon moment because I think the scene with Simon and Mal is very, very misleading and I think you just stepped onto why. As someone who had watched the movie first and based on that scene, I think I fairly interpreted it as that Simon River had just joined the ship. Yes. <laughs> and that scene really makes Simon feel like a visitor on the ship, possibly a very, very recent visitor to the ship, a newcomer to the ship, and which, once again, feels very odd coming off of objects in space, uh, where it feels like they'd finally had become, had made the ship their home, finally. And now, in particular, had fully welcomed them onto the ship in a way that he probably had not before. So, you know, a few months pass, and this is the first interaction I have. It feels very forced it does not feel right at all i do not like it (laughs) yeah absolutely i remember actually watching when i first started watching firefly when like that connection was made for me like oh this is that i i had a quick moment of thinking so is the movie like a remake of the show because like you said it does very much feel like right back at the start where it was like ah they've just joined and like they're you know oh every five minutes we're gonna threaten to throw you guys off but i guess again this is a you know something you have to take when you uh when you adapt to a movie and you you have to accept that some people are going to be coming into this not knowing this dynamic uh, so you have to do trodden ground i think and it's actually, I would actually even say, uh, well, I wouldn't blame Sean Marr exactly. I think that is Sean Marr's worst scene in the entire yes. <laughs> um, show and movie. Uh, all, and I think, in part, they want him to sound different in the scene, but it doesn't feel, hmm. it's not a great performance by Sean Marr in that scene, who is normally able to convey a wide variety of emotions in the same kind of Simon voice, in the same mm. Simon look. Calm. And this felt like a different person. Yeah. Why, think, why do you think I was so shocked when we uh, kept being every week like, man, Simon fucking nails it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what you could possibly argue is that this is such an extreme situation mm. that that's what resulted in it. Yeah. But it didn't work. No. Yeah, uh, I think that open scene generally, um, if we we go back before the sort of, here's all the characters, 
like I, th- I think we're going to go through this sort of like character by character, so the operative will come up when we get to him. But just that opening scene generally, I think, is fantastic. Uh, the sort of reveal within the reveal that okay, we're getting a flashback. Oh no, wait, it's a memory. Oh, but this is all a recording. I think that's really effective. And you know, seeing Simon actually breaking River out. Uh, when this was kind of a mystery to us before, how this sort of wealthy doctor who... Uh, we saw him making some attempts uh, in in the show. But you do always think, how did this dude like get into an Alliance facility and break out this, this top secret uh, science project lady? And, and we see it, and I think it's really cool. And uh, seeing the sort of slimy alliance doctor have to worm his way out when someone comes to uh, reprimand him for it and and that reveal that like oh he's not here to gather information he's here to uh, punish me uh, when the operative is gives that line really reading of you know and you let them in the room with a psychic and it's just like oh yes uh, straight away very very menacing villain and just that whole I think the first sort of five to seven minutes or whatever it is uh, from that First scene with River and Simon and the operative, and then the little meet the crew uh, montage. <laughs> Regardless of what we just said about it, I think those first few, uh, those first two scenes are incredibly effective, uh, effective as openers uh, as we as we see the titles play. Okay, so as I said, uh, the way we used to do things around here was we sort of go character by character and sort of discuss how they did and i think that works for movies so we're gonna do that again some stuff will naturally bleed over uh so nathan fillion mal reynolds we've we've talked about mal a lot (laughs) in the last many many weeks we discovered that firefly well rediscovered reaffirmed i guess that's not a shocking revelation uh that firefly was entirely about mal it was a great big mal story the movie a little bit more about river still quite a lot of mal so Probably going to do quite a lot of talking about him here. Uh, I think he's a lot quippier, a little bit less tortured. You don't really get the extent of why this man is the way he is here. Uh, to the point that when I first watched, or like, I, I don't even know if I like skimmed through it or wasn't paying attention or something, but whenever Mal would be kind of a dick, I was like, man, why are you like this, bro? Why aren't you just making all your jokes? Uh, but, you know, when you actually pay attention, uh, you see why. Yeah, I, th- I think certainly the first half, and, and kind of all the way through, like, when he goes to visit Anara at the temple, and he's, you know, mocking the prayer rituals and whatnot. All the way through, the whole, yes, I've read a poem, try not to faint. I, th- I feel he's a lot quippier than he is in the show. Yes. Yes, but... I guess uh, to keep it moving, because it's a movie. <laughs> keep moving, it's a movie, and also, I think Nathan Fillion's a little better at being a quippy guy than a tortured guy, so I'm not going mm. to complain all that much. Yeah. I think the bigger thing with Mal, that uh, I think it makes a little bit more sense, actually, having read the first comic, which was uh, something about the past. I don't know. It's ten feet away from me, but I... I really Isn't something about Left Behind? I don't know. Yeah, those left behind. There we go. The past. I haven't even read it. <laughs> yeah, it's literally ten feet away from me. I cannot be bothered. So in the, in the companion book, the kind of the cash in to get all the Firefly fans to buy a comic. Before, Not that before kind of movie. companion, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we see Mal kind of ex- have a falling out with Shepard book. Not kind of one of those irreversible falling outs, but one of those falling outs where it becomes clear to Shepard that he cannot stay on the ship. 
and we see him uh, say goodbye to Nara. And I think it becomes pretty clear that, especially the Nara part, that knowing Nara was leaving, kind of broke Mal a little bit. Yep. And, um, he was already pretty broken. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it it broke him in a way that for people who are not paying ridiculously close attention might be a little confused about based on where we left him in the show versus how the movie opens. And so he now kind of just doesn't give quite as much of a fuck. Yes. And it seems very willing to push more people away, such as Simon and River, which once again, doesn't really make much sense based on the last episode you saw. But, you know, I guess if you want to read a comic book like a dork, it doesn't make a little bit more sense. Like a dork. Wow. Very cutting, Mike Thomas. Yes, yes, yes. And and I guess the idea, it's kind of, a, this movie is kind of almost like a full circle moment for Mal. He kind of needs to, he kind of chases that feeling all the way to its bottom, only to come out at the end, kind of re-embracing um, everyone mm. a little bit, or welcoming everyone a little bit. Yeah. And it's a good journey. It's a nuanced journey. I don't want to say it feels repetitive for Mal, but... I I certainly wouldn't want to see it again. I, in that sense. I I think like this I I've been thinking a lot recently and I was like if there was to ever be a Firefly sequel or Santa Randy sequel or whatever, I think it's time for Mal to no longer be the main character. <laughs> sure. I actually I appreciated his journey in the movie a lot more after watching uh the series. Before I knew anything about Mal beyond what the movie presents, I was just like, Yeah, I guess he He's a dude, he does stuff. And seeing, like, the extent of what a broken man he is in the show, and I know you say that, like, we left him on a somewhat more peaceful uh, place. He's still, like, his whole life is that ship. His whole life is protecting that crew. He kind of doesn't let himself have nice things, by which I mean is a dick towards Anara because he can't put himself out there. We see him work through a tiny bit of that in Heart of Gold, that terrible, terrible episode. And it's kind of treading on the toes of when we get to Shepard Book because it's kind of one of his only scenes but when he says to Mal like believe in something like I don't care what it is but believe in something and then Mal like the whole way through the show obviously Mal hates the Alliance like bitterly hates them goes and starts fights with them on on uh, Unification Day or whatever it is but he's kind of just accepted it that's his lot he will now be on Serenity and live a quiet pirate's life getting by not bothering anyone, not taking any action, because a, a part of him died, or a part of him, he left a part of himself in the war. And then that motivation from Book, combined with, you know, everything that happens with people dying and it getting very personal, like the Alliance not leaving him alone, but actually coming after him like this, he finally snaps, and he is a person of action again, which heavily implied he you know he he would go and save one of his crew if they were captured but he's not like attempting to pick a bigger fight and the the journey we see him go on in this movie is you know that catalyst of book and everything else that happens he becomes a man of action again and he actually makes this attempt to potentially bring down the entire alliance who have you know they're everywhere like they they control the entire verse almost um or that's what's implied we don't know their extent but I do think that is significant that he, you know, stops being so, uh, you know, like, to an extent he is sort of a mopey man who's a bit too down in the dumps about stuff. But 
he still takes that journey within himself and finds it within himself to take action. And I, I like that he does. And I think for those reasons, what you just said about you don't want him to maybe be the main character anymore, he maybe doesn't have to be because yes. by the end of it, I mean, I guess we'll talk about Anara and him as we go, but things have kind of come to a sort of resolution with Anara and he's done something again. You just get the sense that he's, if not happy, he's more okay with himself than he's been in the entire time we've seen him. So like, he could almost be just at peace now. So I don't, I don't think he would need to be the uh, the main character anymore. Yeah, that's, and I think that's kind of more right, man. It's kind of like, his journey, his story's not over, but his time front and center, I think is. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously we're dealing with a little absurd hypothetical since there yeah. will be no more firefighters running. But I think it's kind of <laughs> important to establish that this is actually really a big concluding arc for Mal, mm. if nothing else. I think he would just kind of breeze in and breeze out of scenes saying stuff and yes. like helping out yes. rather than being like Captain Action. <laughs> yes, I think uh, that's important to know. I also really like his interactions with the operative, but that will come up when we talk about the operative. So just going down kind of the crew and the uh, Gina Torres as Zoe, who we have agreed is like, I think the least developed character. Not enough was done most, with her. Most of. underutilized. Yeah, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you for that. Because um, she's always there and she does a great job of making her presence felt when she's not even doing a lot. Yeah. And the fact that she basically gets to be in the thick of every action scene helps yes but it's really shocking how little focus she gets in the show yeah. compared to say you know inara yeah jane yeah everyone uh, <laughs> everyone L- but literally Book everyone river i mean i i would say even no nah, less than them i would say like, like there's no like dangling storylines like yeah really like she has um, her one big story with wash but but even that's really on the sidelines throughout yeah. almost every single episode. And the one episode where it's not, it's really much more of a wash episode than a hurt than a Zoe episode. Exactly. I don't want to say she does the most with the least because I think that's Simon. But she did well to be a memorable, beloved character when a lot of the time her her role was agree and be there. <laughs> yes, I think with Zoe, she because she was so much more at peace at herself. There was less direction, there yeah. fewer directions to go in with her. I think what you can say is that it's very obvious that, you know, the next story was set up for her to be the main character based on what happens here. Yes. Uh, because once again, Zoe is mostly, you know, agreeing with Mal publicly, <laughs> making some fun comments, being a badass action star. Mm-hmm. And then her husband dies. Oh. She kind of, it's pretty beautifully and tragically done how they portray it afterwards, which is where the initial moment. Uh, just this outpouring of disbelief, followed by like, followed by like cold and soldier like, barely acknowledging it to yeah. kind of losing it and just deciding fuck it, I'm ready to die now. Uh-huh. And then uh, that's kind of it until we kind of get a really beautiful and graceful moment at the end of her um, laying something. What was it? I don't know. She led something at Wash's grave, but it was um, it was quite beautiful yeah. and. Um, just the way they shot her walking up to the grave yeah. was... You feel the mourning. <laughs> yes. You yeah. feel the weight of the loss. And so, like The way Gina Torres portrays the grief in that yeah. scene is so heart-wrenching and yeah. uh, heartbreaking. And, well, and I, then her, fi- her final scene at the end is just 
I don't know. She nails it. She probably ha- she probably gets to make the most of the least in this movie. In the movie, Sean Mar Sean Mar gets a lot to do in this movie. At least a lot more than you might expect. Gene hmm. Torres really just fucking knocks it out of the park. Yeah, and I mean we'll we'll bring Alan Tudyakis Wash into this as well because he is so tied up in like their their storyline is each other here. Like uh, his death defines her journey here. I think so. We'll talk about the both of them together. I think what you said about she's like at peace with herself and that in some ways that like handicaps her because conflict is more interesting than like happiness and like that's sort of the best thing about Zoe and Wash they are just a couple that are nice to each other and love each other and are in a good place like we get those hints at some point about oh they want to have a baby or they're fighting about one of them wanting to have a baby and the other one not but for the most part they are just loving towards each other and it's good but it does also unfortunately not make for great uh, sort of drama but I think here you know you get the exact opposite they create the biggest drama possible in that Wash dies and you know you, you've said to me before that like all Wash really gets to do in this movie is die and I agree generally because I think one of the handful of things I conjure up in my brain when I think of this movie is his death and the whole I'm a leaf on the wind stuff just before but I do think he is good in the like three or four scenes he has to the point that I didn't know who he was from anyone else in the cast and I cared when he died and a lot of that is down to Gina Torres selling the fuck out of it um as you said like it's so heartbreaking seeing her react to it like you said like complete disbelief at first and then uh as I interrupted you with rudely it's uncomfortable, like, waiting for her to erupt to the point it becomes almost unnerving as she remains completely calm about it in this big battle, and then you sort of come to realise, oh, it's because she's basically accepted her own death, and she knows that none of them are making it out. And then, you know, by the end of it, like you said, that morning scene is is great. You know, it, it's unfortunate that it has to happen this way in losing a character. I mean, it, you know, this was the end of all of it, so it doesn't really matter, but that it took this to finally have a great like a truly great Zoe storyline uh, is unfortunate, but Gina Torres does knock it out of the park, I think. And it's not even really a great storyline. It's more just like she gets a couple of really well, good moments to play. Yeah. <laughs> a Zoe-centric yeah. storyline. And um, it's more, you know, I think there's clearly a lot of great Zoe material to come that we will unfortunately never get to see on the screen. But uh, I guess that kind of transitions us neatly to Wash. Yeah. He is technically there. <laughs> I, I think he's assume he was on set. He was on set. It seems like a lot of the days, but uh, if I felt Wash's presence on the show, I felt much more strongly than I did in the movie. I think when you just get a few moments to play in each episode of a show, it stands out more. When you just get a few moments to play in a movie, yeah. And you know, he's likable. He's funny. He's charming. For those reasons alone, his death kind of shocks you and makes you sad. But, you know, I I think Book, you know, had a much deeper role in this movie than... And his death was far more... Was far more satisfying in a, in a certain way, or far more tragic. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the fact that he was constantly there, but constantly doing nothing, made his death mean less. Or made his death hurt less to me. If I'm casting my mind back to watching this movie, like, I didn't really care about Book at all. And obviously that is for reasons of not having seen Firefly. 
Uh, and I know, a watch doesn't do a huge amount either, so I don't know why that would be the case, but I just remember thinking, you know, he's funny at the beginning with the whole, oh god, oh god, we're all gonna die type thing, and like his whole I'm a leaf on the wind thing is good, and he's a charming actor, he's a charismatic actor, obviously. I think a lot of it is down to Zoe's, or um, Gina Torres playing it so well that it did sort of hit me when he died, but... Yeah, you're right. Uh, again, a hazard of a movie versus a TV show. You don't have time to give these people a moment every episode or a few moments every episode. Like the movie is the movie, and he is unfortunately Not like. Really in it. <laughs> well, no, I just mean like his character generally is that like he's just good at his job and he loves his wife and he's a happy dude, and that doesn't really uh, add up to a huge amount of pathos in a story like this. I think more importantly, it has less of a place in a very, very urgent two-hour movie that has a lot that it wants to get done. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like, uh, this, all, it's kind of all he could have done is die. <laughs> like, if he, if uh, his, if his role had been this and he just landed the ship and he's there at the final fight, I think it's worse than if he. I don't deny that. It's one of those things where I think it just it has a much more impact on people who have seen the show. In the yeah. movie, I'm just kind of like, huh, he really doesn't get to do much. Oh. Right, Adam Baldwin as Jane. Now, I didn't... My memory, as I've said, was that I didn't like Jane as much as everyone else seems to. I acknowledge part of that, maybe just seeing Adam Baldwin the man versus the character he's playing. I'd forgotten a lot of like the depth of, of the character or the development of the character, uh, I should say. And I, to this day... I'm adamant that he is pretty different in this movie than he is in the in the show. The thing that stands out to me the most is a, a theme we kept revisiting is him and Mal kind of being quite standoffish with each other uh, and him usually backing down whenever Mal would assert himself. And this is by far the, the most assertive he is towards Mal when he, he stands up to him and he, he yells at him, I'm talking at you. Like, Zoe does eventually get him to back down and leave the room, as we've seen happen to him several times in the show. But it did strike me as a bit weird that Jane would all of a sudden pluck up all this courage uh, when he's traditionally cowed to Mal, and Mal knowing <laughs> what he was going to do to River and Simon, I, you'd feel he would kind of have that held over him forever and try and change for it and whatnot. And he seems to have started to do that towards the end of the show. And then he's kind of back to where he was before, where he directly attempts to <laughs> get rid of River and, and River, like, kicks his ass and whatnot. But, yeah, it's... You know, he's still funny in action and he and whatnot, but it's, it's not the more nuanced performance that uh, I... I think of from the show. Yes. I I can't quite describe what feels different about him. It feels like Joss Whedon gave him a lot more to do in terms of like screen time, in terms of lines, in terms of moments. Like it's almost like he saw, you know, Jane as being very cinematically friendly in a way that Wash wasn't. You know, uh, he's rough and ready, you know. Yeah, and it's more of an action movie. This is not a movie. This is I mean, this is an action movie. Really. And, uh, you know, Jane fits much more into that, fits more organically into that than Wash does. Wash is much more of a TV show character. It just feels, you're right, it does feel a little bit off compared to the show. He also looks like just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's more in movie star shape than in TV show shape. <laughs> His hair is a little bit less, 
you know, homemade barber barbering. It looks a little bit more professionally done. He looks a little nicer. <laughs> he is much uh, more of the action sidekick than like that character yes. we discussed, where he thinks he's the star of the show, etc. Yes, and um, he also had this really weird. I would say weird in a bad way, but very unJane like moment. You know, he's 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 got this monologue about all the reasons why he'd be willing to kill somebody, and it starts off saying, you know, oh, I wouldn't do it just for fun, but then there's a whole host host of reasons of why uh, he would kill somebody, and he it gets this moment. Where it's like Kaylee says that uh, you know the Reavers they just got to the edge of space and just lost their minds, and Jane's like, I've been to the edge, and it's just more space. And it's supposed to be like this big, heavy line, and like it doesn't work for Jane at all. No. His voice is all different. It really stands out. It's just like, did you write that for a different character? Was there like a typo? <laughs> I think that's kind of like the most nuanced Jane gets in this movie. Yeah, is that for like a brief moment he gets to be poignant, uh, poignant, and uh, it doesn't really fit him at all. And uh, it was a bit awkward. I think. Uh, I think. Lot- I actually think it's kind of a cool line on paper. It just yeah. didn't really work in execution. I think part of it may be that, well, this doesn't even feel true because he got like a whole episode, but to an extent, he was having to steal scenes. I don't want to keep saying this thing of making a lot out of a little, but I feel Adam Baldwin really embellished with Jane and found every moment he could to do more with him. Uh, like a lot of the backs, uh, behind the scenes interviews and whatnot, uh, they talk about how he added props or like had input yeah. on props and whatnot and you get the sense he was really trying to put his stamp on it and I here it's what, just uh, he's taken the role <laughs> i think what jewel state said is that he always found a little something to do to make everything just a little bit better like, yes uh, whether it was like the straw and the hat or mm-hmm. i think he came up with the line i'll be in my bunk like <laughs> yeah like he just you know he's he's a if nothing else, he's a very, very good, talented actor. You know, and you can see that a lot on the show. In the movie, it feels much more like action star sidekick. Yes. Uh, it feels weird to talk about her at this point, because like, she's arguably the main character at times, but I couldn't really find a good point to talk about River. So let's talk about her now. Uh, Summer Glau as River Tam. Now, a big thing that stood out, when watching the show is how little she does, how long it takes to get to these revelations that we already knew about in this movie. Right away, you see uh, her being, you know, in the academy and then being sort of tortured as as a science experiment. And then you get to see her kick some serious ass in that club scene where, you know, Summer Glass a badass, man. <laughs> like, uh, I watched the featurette of her training to fight and, like, yeah, they had nothing but incredibly good things to say about her. Like, her background in dance obviously helps. Like, she's very graceful in her movement. She's very flexible. And, uh, the, that scene and, and the one at the end with the Reavers where she's kicking everyone's asses. Amazing. Uh, I love it. Like, to me, that's who I think of when I think of River. And then it, it was actually quite jarring seeing her spend so much time uh, just sort of muttering and sort of drifting along. Uh, and obviously... You know, you have to get there, and and they didn't know they were only getting one season and whatnot. I also feel she's she seems like she's more trusted since the events of Objects in Space, where she you know bested Jubal early. Yeah, she was like bringing her on the missions, and like now we all know she's a psychic and whatnot. Like making good use of her, uh, she feels a more valuable part of the team. But then bringing her into it explains what will happen with Simon. But just generally. She still doesn't have a ton of lines, because I think that's the point. Like, River is supposed to be quite quiet, and 
looking inward and reflective because of what's happened to her and what she can do. But Summer Glau, I I think, is great here, and I am really shocked she didn't become a bigger star out of this. Yes, uh, she is a total action star in this movie. It's uh, kind of remarkable. Um, the grace and the, the way she's going to be able to combine grace and physicality in such a believable way. Um, you know, it seems like she was made for like a supporting role in the Marvel universe or something. <laughs> But, uh, you know, she really knocks out the part. And she has a lot of different beats to how she has to play. She has to constantly go back from, like, tortured science experiment to crazy mess to her facial, her comedic facial expressions when someone says something ridiculous to her are absolutely fucking incredible. She has two of them, and they're two of my favorite moments in the show. Uh, or in the movie, I guess, the whole show, too. Then she has to play the action star. Then she has to play the kind of recovering victim in the, mm-hmm. the final moments, the final scenes. And, uh, you know, she pretty much knocks every single moment out of the park. Uh, you know, a lot was kind of riding on Summer in this movie beyond just the action. And uh, she stepped up big time. Yeah. She was a big gamble generally with, like, the little acting experience she had and then, like, making this role bigger and bigger. I don't know if they always had these grand plans for River or if they expanded them as they saw how good she was, but... You know, to to get to a point where you're doing a movie kind of based around her and she's front and center of every poster and everything, kind of a risk. But yeah, she it really paid off. She would she would probably have been a good uh, option for Scarlet Witch, given the way Marvel are like taking that character. But she's really good in the when, when we think Simon is dying, uh, that scene yes. where she genuinely cried every time because her and uh, Sean Meyer had become very close filming together. Yeah, very very powerful. Speaking of. Sean Meyer uh, as Simon Tam, same same last name because they're brother and sister. If you hadn't been listening for the last however many episodes, not a patch on TV Simon in my opinion. Like at any point, he he certainly has plenty of lines. He's certainly not bad, but he really stood out to me in the show and really impressed me when he is arguably the least well known name in the show uh, of the actors from the show. Um, and in this movie, he's just for me. He's just kind of there. Like he has his his scenes. Um, like the one that I I really do think of is when they think they're all gonna die, and he kind of he's talking to Kaylee, who we'll talk about next. And you just kind of get the sense he's finally come to terms with things about River and sort of made his peace. Like, hey, I've spent all this time worrying about her. I didn't bother, like, being my own person to an extent. Uh, and he, you know, confessing... Well, it's not really confessing, because as we said, they kind of admit they like each other well before the end of the series. Uh, but his little, his little talk with Kaylee, um, I like that Simon moment. I know he does more earlier on. Like, he's got his action moment breaking her out, and, you know, he puts her to sleep with the uh, the Russian, for some reason, uh, code word that makes River go sleepy sleep. But, yeah, just... I think I think coming off the series, uh, I think worse of this character than I did when I first saw it. Where before I would have just thought, yeah, he was fine. Now I'm like, but he's so good in the show. Yeah, I I think I like him a little bit more in the movie than you do. Hmm. That first opening whining scene with Mal is really bad. It's really really bad. It's kind of like coming clear to me now just how bad that scene is. Yep. <laughs> I think though he's generally pretty good throughout the rest of the movie. You know, I think. Once again, he gets the least sexiest role to play. He's got to be, you know, the straight person. Um, you know, he's got to be the normal one. He's got to be the mature adult in a room full of immature adults. Um, yes. 
and you know I think he he does very well overall. I think he does very well overall, and uh, I think if he didn't do very well overall, that moment with Kaylee wouldn't mean anything. The scenes with River would have, would lose a lot of their punch. So I think um, yeah, he got he got it done. Got yeah, it done. he he's good. Just coming off him being great, I'm like ah, oh. but yeah, no, he's he's good. He's never. Outside of that first scene, like he he's good throughout, um, and he he seems to be an incredibly good person to act against. I feel everyone who has a scene with him, their game is elevated when they're acting with Sean Meyer. I don't know, but certainly the the death scene with River and or the, the almost death scene with River and the, the conversation with Kaylee, etc. Um, all very good stuff. Speaking of Kaylee, speaking of Jewel State, a couple of minutes ago. And uh, speaking of Sean Meyer having the least sexy role, I refute that, sir, as he takes his top off and kisses Kaylee, and Kaylee finally, finally gets her some Simon. Good Someone for her. finally twixes her nethers. That is that my favourite line. On, that was not run on batteries. That is my favourite line in the entire show or film. Good for her, you know, like... I mean, she doesn't have the most nuanced journey in this. It's kind of an abridged version of what we've been seeing. Like, she has her moments where she's just sort of looking at him all longingly and just biting her lip and being all like, oh, okay. And then finally, you know, having an argument with him when he's not that nice. And then finally it all going well. But she gets her funny moments and she gets to be nice and sweet. Looking at it... How she, like, kind of, like, just kind of throws cold water on Mal and his bullshit a couple times. She does. Those were new beats for Kaylee to play. They were. Uh, she traditionally was very just like, well, whatever anyone else says. Yeah, she does She does do a bit more here. And she, she's good in Gut Instinct. She's my favourite character probably because she's so funny a lot of the time. But, she, I, you know, I she's she has a much smaller role. And I think the further removed from when the show and the film were made, I get the more I come to realise, like, she kind she didn't get like fucked over but like you know she her role can be quite problematic in the show uh it's less so here but you know i'm glad she she got a conclusion to that storyline i love the delivery of like hell with this i'm gonna live in that final fight a little bit more willing to shoot at the end there than she was last time she had a gun in her hand i think i think you touched on the issue though is just that kind of in the attempt to shorthand or to 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 give everybody something, they kind of just redid her entire arc from the show to one movie, and she's on the sidelines almost the entire time. So it feels a little off in the context of watching the show. Well, the two um, people that make the ship run, like the pilot and the mechanic, they you know they they're rele- relegated to support roles, or everyone else goes yes. and does stuff. Yes, it's a metaphor. It is. But yeah, she's good. It's just, you know, it's a repeat. But if you were watching it fresh, it's good. It's a good little role. Uh, Gold Jewel State. Don't know why you also didn't go on to do more stuff. Not that she's, like, phenomenal, but, you know, I would have expected her to pop up more than she did. Someone who did pop up over the years, Morena Baccarin as Anara. Now, (laughs) we'll talk about, like, how this works as a standalone and probably specifically about Anara uh, and how bit odd that in the show she uh she's such a big character and yet here it's like she's she's in it more than i remembered but like she kind of seems like she's nothing here like she's just some girl that mal i guess used to like and oh they're talking on on the video call and everything but on skype yeah space skype that batman invented um yeah i call back it is yeah 
<laughs> Do you reckon anyone that listened to that is listening to this? No. No. <laughs> we don't retain audience. You either like one thing or the other and you come with us on that and then you stop listening. She's good. She doesn't do much, but she is good. Yeah. Uh, we put off talking about Mal and Anara, and I guess this is why we should have, because you know there's not a huge amount to say about her individual journey. And unfortunately, yeah. problematically, it is wrapped up around Mal. However, yes. I think the two of them play that video call, the Skype call, uh, very, very well. It's lovely and awkward and human with them sort of like interrupting each other a little bit. And like, oh, I thought you were going to... Uh, uh, uh. I think that's really good. What that podcast usually sounds like. <laughs> Not when I'm finished with it. So, uh, yeah, like, she she's there for like the whole, like, I guess second half. half of the movie. Yeah, second, just, second half. just in the background a bit. And I think having watched the show now, step on the toes of what maybe talked about in a minute but you, you kind of forgive it a bit more because you're used to her being like that a bit and you have seen her get some moments but yeah not a lot i think the big scenes are in the other video call and the kind of the companion training house as it were yeah i think um if you watch the deleted scenes there are a lot of small mound and our moments left on the cutting room floor ah they don't flesh it out a ton, which is why I think they were cut. But, you know, it gives it a little bit more depth to what's going on in both of their heads. Um, they get a few more moments together escaping the, the companion training house, etc. They get a couple more moments on the ship. And uh, I think from what uh, a comment Joss Whedon made in passing during one of the commentaries was that uh, Miranda really had a fight for her role, it sounds like, in terms of <laughs> getting less of her things cut. Yes. So it's possible that she could have even had more cut from the movie. And uh, you could kind of understand why she seems so disposable because her character is relatively disposable in this. Yes. You know, a, a quick uh, few edits, uh, uh, one reshoot to bring together the operative Mal and another scene, and Inara is very easily cut out of this movie. Yeah. And that's not saying that's what they should have done. I'm just no. saying it's kind of just a fact based on how they chose to use Anara on this, which is just kind of to continue Mal's story. And, you know, I, and while that moment at the end where Anara says the question, are you ready to leave the ship? And she says, I don't know. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful moment for show watchers, a believable moment, a probable moment, a possible moment. Mm-hmm. They don't really do much in the actual movie to make that moment feel earned. Really. No. And like, you uh, wonder if for the sake of the movie, they should have kissed, but I mean, I'm glad they didn't. I feel this the I don't know is far more appropriate, but it is. they possibly deserved. Well, I mean, Anar yeah. definitely deserved more in a next story to get that moment. Perhaps yeah. but I can see why. Well, it it says a lot. It says a lot in because the words I don't know like that. That doesn't actually literally mean much, but it does actually say a lot because she was always in two minds. I, I guess from the moment she started having feelings for Mal, she was very torn about her role on that ship because, as we said, like her deleted, potentially incredibly problematic backstory. Oh, not backstory, like the, the the deleted thing of like maybe she had a terminal illness or something. And Mal always uh, saying, like, oh, I get the sense you're running from something. You do get this hint that she joined that ship because it's the last place she would form any kind of attachment to anyone. And to have her then leave when she is forced to fully come to terms with how she feels about Mal uh, in Heart of Gold and talk about it in terms of, you know, uh, family and, and having a bond and whatnot, that all slows you down. Or I can't remember how she phrased it, but she she's left, obviously. And 
you know, potentially stubbornly to, to go do whatever she's doing there, uh, potentially helping training people or whatever, going back to the life she had before. Training people in what, though? Well, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Oh, oh. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. It, you know, it, that I don't know when her coming back aboard, it's very telling that, you know, she missed him. And while she may believe in her head that it is right to not get tied down, I don't know is very appropriate there because she doesn't yeah. want to go, but she doesn't want to fully deal with it. So she's going to yeah. get herself back aboard and maybe they'll play Will They Won't They for the rest of time. But yes. it, is a, it is a good choice, I think. Yes. So the only other member of the crew from the from the show with less to do Wait, who? is Ron Glass as Shepard Book. Wait, how do you know he's in the crew? Well, I know because I watched the show. <laughs> um, yeah, who is this old man that they go stay with and then dies? It's... Well, you see, Matt, in, in the world of movies predominantly made up of white people, sometimes <laughs> they need help. And they need help from... Spiritual characters who are uh, can uh, what? pop up at a given uh, any given moment to really provide our our main characters, our heroes, our protagonists with uh, really just the exact words or actions they need to hear in that given moment. And uh, you know, what, what do you know? Uh, Ron Glass was right there. Oh, and, uh, okay. He was just on set. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, he, he gives Mel some uh, words of wisdom. And then, uh, you know, he dies for Mal to, uh, to give our protagonist the proper motivation to actually stop being a lazy fuckboy and to actually get going in his life. Yeah, that's and, true. Um, All that is true. That is what the great and wonderful Ron Glass was reduced to in this movie. And mm-hmm. it is complete fucking bullshit. Yup. But hey, um, he wasn't available for multiple movies he had to die also it's and a two hour movie to, to clarify Ron Glass fucking nails these two scenes that he fucking gets but it is complete fucking bullshit and um it's just honestly it's just complete fucking bullshit there's no it's indefensible <sighs> you know it's something I did not fully appreciate when I first watched the movie but it's probably not even something I fully was angered by the first time or two few times through the show but this is bullshit and uh we didn't should have known better he should yeah he's he is good in the scenes those two scenes he, he has nails scenes he um, nails them he's a great he's a really great in the role yeah but uh you know he, this was this was complete fucking bullshit hmm. we'll, we'll get into more when we talk about the operative but as best as i could tell there are four black males on screen throughout the runtime of Firefly and Serenity. Uh-huh. You have Jubal Early, you have Shepard Book, you have the Operative, and the little black boy in uh, Shepard Book's little commune he's got going here. And this this is how black men exist in, in, in this world. The adults are all dangerous assassins that are either <laughs> still dangerous assassins or have to repent from being a dangerous assassin by being a servant to white people. Or they are a little black boy who hugs the white lady and then is killed later to emotionally manipulate us. Garbage. Accurate. Fucking garbage. This is true. Um, But he does nail those two scenes, doesn't he? And all the actors are fucking (laughs) phenomenal in it, which just makes it even more fucking annoying. I know. know. Joss Whedon will never write a better line in the world than, am I a lion? Um... (laughs) 
<laughs> I never like, thought of myself that way, but <laughs> you know, I think I am kind of a lion. <laughs> what a crazy fucking dude. Crazy space rapist. Um, but, um, that yeah. line of, I wasn't born a shepherd, Mal, is that a repeat line, or does it just... It feels like a repeat line. Yeah, my gut was it was, but I couldn't be bothered to... Yeah, I, don't, I don't think it is, I don't think it is, but it feels like it. Uh, and I, I should note, in one of the weirdest cuts ever, so when Kaylee and Jane are having their conversation right after Simon announces they're leaving the ship, and Jane says, space... Kaylee mentions how the captain's gun drive us all one by one, just like Simon River, just like Inara. In the extended version of that scene, they say, just like Shepard Book, just like Inara. Why in the hell was that half a second line of dialogue cut from the final cut of the movie? And what's so funny is that Whedon, one of the commentaries, talks about that line as if it's still in there, that there's only one passing comment about Shepard Book being a part of the crew. Mm. But it's like, it's not actually in the final cut of the movie. It's Maybe he doesn't know. I, I think it's possible he doesn't know. <laughs> but it's just so dumb and so bizarre and uh unless you've anything to say let's just transition right into uh the operative wow what about david crumholtz as mr universe there's not a lot to say like he's creepy funny uh, he he gets to play to the last row in the auditorium he does uh, uh, you know it's a movie they've got more money they can get guest stars <laughs> yes uh michael hitchcock sarah paulson both fucking phenomenal paulson like been a great actress forever hitchcock great actor forever yep. you know sarah paulson just what a, what a coup to have her for this bit yeah. part um oh we're gonna talk about miranda don't worry but uh anyway so the operative you yes chiwetel edgy four which uh, i've remembered how to say for more than two weeks now so go me. okay amazing uh, <laughs> yes oh does not rate people as far as we know yes so just improvement nice. over jubilee I mean, it's an, this amazing villain performance. It's this amazing, 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 amazing villain performance. Uh, in terms of just straight-up villain performances that we've discussed in the past year, uh, yes, we are coming up on our wedding anniversary. Thanks for asking. One of the best. One of the best. I, I, I don't think we've seen many others that top it. Nope. Uh, and obviously, villains only exist in these, these three universes, so yep. it's probably one of the best ever. It's the Joker. Uh, it's, it's Magneto. Yeah. And, and it's and the it's operative. operative. Those are the three yeah. villains, guys. Yeah. I mean, he's just this wonderful actor that in no way needed to be in this movie in the sense that, like, this is a guy that eventually the Academy Award nominee really is off in very prestigious works, but, uh, you know, luckily this movie took place in a time period in his career where, you know, these kinds of roles were something he would go for. Glad and he did. He really, <laughs> yeah. He's phenomenal in it. I think what's really interesting, I, I don't think it was entirely intentional either based on the commentaries. There are a number of deleted moments um, from the movie where he seems a little bit more unhinged. Mm. Just in his line readings, his facial expressions. They're nothing big. They probably wouldn't have ruined the performance, but I, I think he really starts to explode towards the end of the movie. He's like, fire! Some, somebody Fire! That like, is that is in there. No, no, no. I'm saying like that moment feels like the first time he really just like oh, snaps yeah. and breaks. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get the point. And you get the idea that Mal like yes. annoys him. <laughs> yes, and they really build to that moment. He seems a little bit more unhinged if you can picture a fully extended cut. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Kind of worked out very well there, if not yeah, by yeah, yeah. 
if not on purpose. He's just this wonderfully grace, graceful, uh, creepy-ass villain who feels it's his duty to comfort the people he's slowly killing. Yeah, oh, uh, I love that. His first his first scene, like, after he, you know, I talked about it, you know, key members of Parliament, the minds behind every mission in the galaxy, and you put them in a room with a psycho. Like, his reading there is great. But it's when he kills uh, the Doctor, Michael Hitchcock, and then he's talking as if it hasn't happened. Well, he's sort of like left the sword there for the guy to fall on. Uh, and he, you know, he talks about, you know, in times of old, you would have fallen on your sword. Like we get these hints at his mysticism or whatever, or his spiritualism. And then he's talking calmly to the assistant, like little miss, or can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And then when the guy falls on the sword, he stops mid sentence to turn to him and genuinely comfort him and say, this is a good death. It's, it's just so fucking good. Like this, yeah. This nuanced character. I love how calm he is at almost all times. Uh, that Mal... Mal is the opposite of him, and that Mal stopped believing in stuff. That's kind of the point of the show and the movie. And he is... You know, he's petulant, and he's cowardly, and he's proud that he's cowardly, and he doesn't like the order of the Alliance and everything, and, and this character, the operative... Whether he believes in what the Alliance do or not, he he has that whole speech about how he believes in a... He wants to build a better world, and he has to get rid of people that are not going to help that. And then sh- cutting him short of being like a, a cartoonish movie villain, he has that moment where he, he freely admits he's a monster and everything he's doing is terrible, and there is no place for him in this world he's creating. And it's... It's so good, and I, I do love how much Mal pisses him off, and how that slowly builds. Sort of in the in the companion training facility where he, you know, says, oh, "I am unarmed," and then Mal like gleefully immediately shoots him. And he goes, "I am, of course, wearing body armor. I'm not a moron." Like that's sort of the hint at him starting to get very annoyed at Mal. He's just very capable. He knows what he's doing. He conducts himself with such grace, as you said. Great, great performance. And I love like every every exchange between him and Mal. For such a, I mean, Chiwetel is also just such a great physical actor. Like this is a superhero in the way, in the in the making type of uh, actor. Where and uh, and much like the rest of the cast, like uh, apparently like this cast was very much about doing as much of their own stunts as yeah. physically possible. And um, you know, apparently you could tell like he fit in right. He fit right in with that. Because yeah. uh, he's not, like, yeah. physically imposing, but just he can conduct no. himself on screen in such a way And he where... doesn't even really look physically all that fit. No. Like, he's, you know, he carries his weight well, but he's, you know, a little pudgy. Or, uh, a little pudgy. <laughs> he's not Tom um, Hardy as Bane. <laughs> no, but he's, he's you know... Yeah. He's, uh, he's got a little weight on him that doesn't look like muscle. No, say. but you, you believe him. Like, he yes. is... He has a sense of will that he. Yes. This is going to happen. And I see the power of belief. I see the League of Shadows in it. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we're going to talk at the end about like things we would have liked to have seen if this had continued, and sort of the ending generally. Uh, I do have more to say about him there, and sort of the ending. But is there anything sort of before that ending scene that you want to talk about with him before we move on? No, he's wonderful. He is wonderful. Uh, Right, so the Reavers. We've talked about all the heroes, and now it's villain time, and we talked about the operative, who is great. The Reavers, who we see for the first time, despite what Matt Waters believed. And thank God they waited for a $40 million movie, because they had the budget to make them look... I mean, they were all... 
they were always in my head whenever Reavers were mentioned when I watched the show because I'd seen the movie, but they look as you'd expect them to look. Like, they look like zombie-ass dudes, like, can- a bunch of cannibals that, you know, murder everyone and eat everyone and everything. And I think, yeah, they they work really well. Like, they're spoken about in hushed tones uh, in the show, but we immediately see them, like, being awful. Uh, we see how the characters react to them before they arrive, where, um, yeah, River, like, gets the premonition that they're coming. And then seeing everyone, like, ah, shit. And, like, loading everyone into the vaults uh, to hide them and, like, immediately bailing on the operation. Uh, it's very effective. And then actually physically seeing them and how uh, Mal shoots a man who they weren't willing to take with them. Uh, but he shoots him so that the Reavers don't get to do all the things they would do with him. Uh, is very telling, and then they immediately drop him because what's fun? What fun is it when the prey isn't moving? I guess, and we'll, we'll talk about Miranda. I think naturally as sort of the next thing, but just before we talk about like the origins and, and the big reveal, just the Reavers generally very savage. I think exactly like no more, no less than what I wanted them to be, and like seeing River then ultimately like dive into a pit of them. And then when the doors open again, just standing there covered in blood holding two weapons uh, is perfect for her. And, uh, you know, it's a combination of them as well. I think they very wisely... I've never had a single shot linger on any of them all too long. No. I think it wanted to add to the terror aspect, the, the constant jump cuts and quick cuts and all yeah. sorts of cuts. Um, and they're also like, kind I, of like a swarm as well. Yeah, I also, I don't know if they look quite as terrifying as I thought when I was 17, but, uh... <laughs> well, I guess um, not know. lingering on them helps you hide. Yeah, that's what I'm it. saying, is, yeah. that, is that now that I'm like, wow, that was a really good decision in multiple, for multiple reasons, and that is that is one of them, is that they didn't quite seem as innovative in their design as I yeah. thought uh, way back when, but um, quite as terrifying. But, uh, you know, very effective, good payoff, and the fact that they tied all in together to the big, big reveal is great sometimes they're a bit odd because some of the ways they're talked about it's like well how do they work ships you know <laughs> I, that is i must say i have no idea how they function at all. <laughs> it's entirely nonsense yeah so let's talk about miranda uh because this is this... am i talking to miranda now you are talking to miranda now uh <laughs> The How can you say Sean Mar doesn't get a lot of great things? I guess he yeah. Alright, fine. I I say it all the time and I guess if I actually made the list there's about eight different things I think of when I think of this movie, but uh Sarah Paulson uh with the big uh like video yeah. message about what happened on Miranda, the reveal of what happened, like the the planet of Miranda. Uh, as we get this one word tease earlier in the movie, uh, where River hears the word, or sees something and then says Miranda and starts kicking ass for no reason. And, uh, of course, it comes out that Miranda is a planet. They have to get through Reavers to get there. They do get there. It is a serene, sterile city, uh, and everyone there is dead. And they didn't die uh, violently. They It's as if they just laid down and died. And we find out that's exactly what happened. Because the Alliance, uh, because they are evil, in case you didn't know, they uh, were experimenting on ways to make people more placid. It went wrong. It made them too placid, to the point they stopped eating, they stopped going to work, they just sat down and died where they were. And a fraction of the people, like 1%, I think it might be, uh, had the opposite. Okay. Uh, they had the opposite reaction, and they turned into the Reavers. So the Alliance not only 
are manipulating with people's feelings to the point that they killed an entire city, an entire planet of people. They also created the Reavers. And this is why they have been chasing River for the entire show, because she was in a room with people that would know this, and she can read minds. Uh, I mean, you get the sense they'd want her back anyway because of what she can do. But uh, that is why it's sort of pressingly urgent to get her back. And... Yeah, it's 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 a very effective reveal. Like, to an ex- I don't know if you can see it coming, but I still remember. I guess I was like seventeen when I saw this. To me, it was like a really great, like, oh god, like reveal of what happened on Miranda. And you know, being a bit older, it's not like as elegant. But Sarah Paulson, amazing in that like very small role of just explaining what happened and then dying at the hands of the Reavers. Uh, I love this Miranda reveal. Yeah, everything about the Miranda was kind of perfect. It's in terms of the plot elements of the movie, probably the best one. Mm-hmm. You know, it really feels like very earned, organic. It feels like it pays off lots of different threads going on. Um, it's a far more interesting and satisfying payoff to the Miranda mystery than virtually anything else, especially if it was just like a random person. It's very much in, uh, on point in terms of other themes and ideas throughout the universe of Firefly and Serenity. I mean, Sarah Paulson probably arguably just gives the best performance in the history of the universe. Um, <laughs> I mean, in like that, this particular universe in this moment, yeah. the way they show her death off screen, but we know that everyone else there can see it happening. And thus we know what the readers are actually doing to this poor woman. Um, yeah. Great, 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 great. The weight of that kind of leads to kind of river kind of waking up for the first time since she went off to the private high school of, of hell. Um, is kind of sweet. Yeah. And, um, she says, like, I'm all right, and then she realizes, holy shit, I actually am all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's finally, well, like, you get the sense some of this has been in her brain, but she didn't know how to comprehend yeah. it, and then seeing it said uh, back to her, it kind of all sinks in. Why this particular secret was kind of uh, the key to her uh, mental stability, not entirely sure. But, uh, you know, you kind of just got to go with it sometimes, and uh, mm. I went with it. I love how she seems, uh, Sarah Paulson, Dr. Caron, she seems to react when Wash talks to the hologram. He says something like, oh God, or something like that. And she she obviously isn't really, but the way it's sort of filmed, it seems like she's actually physically responding when he uh, says something. It's just just great. Uh, So that leads us into the ending generally. And I think it's a pretty good ending, personally. You get kind of the Zoe and the crew's last stand. Wash is dead, Simon get wounded, uh, River seemingly dives out to her doom to get them the medical kit to help everyone. Jane and Zoe privately are like, oh, you think any of us are making it out of this? That may just be Zoe's grief talking, but it is seemingly a very uh, doomed moment. Meanwhile, Mal and the Operative are having their big fight at the end, and continuing to exchange witticisms and whatnot. And, like, the Operative kicks Mal's ass, like, obviously... And uh, Nathan Fillion, because he's an idiot, actually took a few blows to the face that made his face swell up. Don't method it. In particular, it was the uh, the shot of him falling face first onto the glass. Yeah, yeah, floor. yeah. <laughs> he did that for real over, like and, six over times. and over and over again. Yeah, and it eventually led to this moment where the makeup artist like, "Oh wow, who did that? That was really impressive." Oh no! Oh no! Wait, no, just you're an face. idiot. <laughs> Obviously, a last stand hero thing is always effective. It's done well here characters confess things in their dying moments etc or seeming dying yeah. moments uh, but with Mal and the operative specifically in their fight I love that the seed is planted at the beginning where the operative paralyzes uh, the doctor Michael Hitchcock 
uh, with this special move he does uh, to the sort of kidney area where they are completely still and then they fall on his sword. And this seed is planted in our head at the beginning so that when he does it to Mal at the end, we know what's coming. And Mal, after getting his ass kicked completely in that fight, pretty much, like he gets some, some hits in, maybe more than he should. But this happens to him and the Octave then lets his guard down because like, right, I've won now. This is all over. This is as I expected it to go in the first place. And Mal gets out of it because he took shrapnel in the war this defining war that defines his entire character uh, and it for as part of you know his medical treatment uh, they moved his nerve clusters over so I love that Mal defeats the villain through dumb luck and through you know this war is his albatross that he cannot let go um, as he even sort of mentions earlier and it saved his life what's even more poetically beautiful about it is that this operative, the operative has been pushed to his limit. He's actually getting mad. He's actually getting frustrated. And when he sees the opening to actually return to some sense of what he considers to be civility, of ceremony, of graciousness, he takes it. And that's actually his undoing makes it all the better. Yeah. So good. So good. I love that it's set up and then pays off that way. And then you get the moment where Mal uploads this data, like the, the video recording of Sarah Paulson, because the world needed to see Sarah Paulson be good at acting. Uh, the, the verse needed to know. And uh, thanks to Mr. Universe's gear, they're able to do that. And this video file plays as the operative is pinned in place by his own sword. And I love his reaction to seeing it. This oh, man yeah. that has pretty much openly said, I don't care what they're doing, whether it's right or wrong. Like, I have my mission. To see that he has a limit <laughs> and to see him realize, oh God, <laughs> like I'm on the wrong side here. Uh, is great, like, seeing... Like, he stops And, and really struggling. more than that, it's more about having his belief destroyed. Yeah, absolutely, and, um, which is a theme. Which like, is why, you know, belief is so dangerous in the first place, and yeah. it's kind of weird that, you know, Ron Glass thinks it's important, but, you know, <laughs> it's why you should just really have really good ideas. Hey, uh, dogma. Hashtag um, Kevin Smith. <laughs> um, God. Yeah. Kevin I love... Smith sucks, everybody. Don't listen. Like, please, don't listen to Haven. <sighs> We're just going to move on. So I love that, uh, you know, he takes that blow to the throat so he can't talk to get his men to do anything and he's sort of pinned in place, but he's still struggling. But as that that video continues to play, he becomes still. You see tears in his eyes. So well played. Yeah, and then, you know, he realises we're done. And then his men, you know, after River survives the Reavers and everything, then we're like, oh, everyone's going to make it. And then the Alliance pour in. And they're asking for orders from the operative due to some sort of actual flub with the filming where the extras actually lowered their guns for no reason. Um, they ask for confirmation of what to do and he says, stand down, it's over. It's finished. It's We're finished. finished. We're finished, yes. It almost would have been... It would have been like the most depressing thing in the world, but imagine if they'd all died because Mal like paralysed this dude's throat. <laughs> and they tease that moment for a second where they're asking for confirmation you're like oh god the last time we went with him he couldn't talk uh, but he does get them to stand down and you know lets them go helps them go helps repair their ship because it you know serenity is trashed after them crash landing here we get this sort of conversation between Mal and the operative where he kind of admits there's nothing uh, well I think he's you know, Mal says, like, if I see you again, I will kill you or whatever. And he says, there's nothing left to see. Because, as you said, he's had his entire belief system shattered. He doesn't know his place in this universe anymore. 
Uh, he's o- openly working against the Alliance, who, you know, Mal suggests they will probably come after him or whatever. Just a really good little conversation between these these characters that are kind of drawn to each other, sort of mirror opposites. Well, not really, but, you know, they are opposed in some ways. Uh, to see them come to this resolution where they're kind of friends, but with the undertone of Mal is like, I'm going to kill you next time I see you. So well acted, I think. Yeah, that's great stuff. It great is. Great stuff all around. And, you know, we see Kaylee and Simon finally having their moment. River creepily watches them, which is funny. <laughs> um, and something I really like is, I almost wanted to talk about it in Zoe's moments, but when uh, Mal asks, you know, he's talking about the ship, but he's actually talking about Zoe, guys. Uh, he says, you think she'll hold together? And Zoe says, she's tore up, but she'll fly through. It's so... <laughs> It's so heartbreaking. Oh, I've missed out the funeral scene, obviously. Uh, that is beautiful. We did talk about that, at least. We did a little bit. But uh, yeah, that, that that little exchange between them. Uh, I feel we've we've spoken about things similar to this before, where it's, it's, there's a very obvious subtext to what's being spoken about. Uh, but I, I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. But what's funny is actually is that Nathan Fillion, while reading that script, apparently had no idea what the subtext was about. He thought they were literally just talking about the ship. Oh. And it had to be explained to him. Oh, no. That's sad. Best. Nathan's a dum-dum. Yeah, and we'll talk about what we would want to see from the show going forward, but I think that's quite an important line for it. And, you know, it, it's appropriate because it's it's a sad thing, but it she's somewhat optimistic in the face of it and that kind of sums the show up in some ways Malin and Ara almost get their little moment but uh, we've talked about that and then uh, like the movie ends with River as the new kind of pilot like she's intuitive she's incredibly intelligent and she just knows how to do things and that includes flying the ship and she's very uh, she's very cogent I think would be the word like uh, her and Mal's little interaction is great. They had a couple of moments in the show that I thought were really good. Uh, in Objects in Space, I think they had a good little moment as well. But I do like seeing those actors act together. You know, her saying, yeah, I know what you're going to say next, but I want to hear you say it, and sort of curled up in the chair looking at him comfortably like that. I think it's really well played. And it's, it's just a nice, like, oh, wow, that's a twist, and where's this going to go? With her piloting, and then flying off, and then appropriately ending with, you know, it can't all be nice because the ship sort of breaks a bit. And that's the end. Yes. Alright, so, it is the end. Not just of the movie, but of Firefly generally. And I guess a big question to ask then would be, like, is it a, is it a satisfying ending to this universe, to this show? For me, yes. It kind of ties up everything that was going to be tied up. Like, Shepard obviously never got his big story. River, kind of, we come to a conclusion with. Ellie and Simon get their moment. Mal and Anara get theirs. Like Mal's story, as we've said, is kind of done. Uh, and I guess we'll sort of tie this in with like what might have come next, what could have been done next. Uh, Zoe is set up in an interesting place, I think, where she potentially could have been a main character. I think the operative in a world where you can get uh, Chiwetel to to do more or recast him. I don't know. I wouldn't want to recast him, but in a in a perfect world where he's willing to do more, I think he could have been interesting to do stuff with. Instead of. Um you know, doing a flashback with Shepard Book, you would kind of just relive that with Juatel, you know, kind of the government operative who is has his belief shattered, his belief system shattered, and now he's kind of kind of make his own path. 
and Nomu, and just that's just kind of how I kind of envision it for him. And it would preferably not be the exact same path. I can't imagine that's the direction they would have gone in, but um, that would have been great. Uh, I really would have liked to have seen Zoe become the main character. I kind of picture leaving the ship. And also, I, I mean, I, to me, I think like what I would like to see is kind of like a story where she kind of allows herself to return because she allows herself to kind of be sad. That's kind of like a big thing with grief is actually just kind of allowing yourself to be sad. And, yeah. Uh, that would be really sweet and lovely. I kind of think, I was thinking about it, with Mal and Nara, I think what would be a great way for them to end up uh, end up in a place is where, you know, they're actually both, they're together and they're both trusting and loving and they actually, and Mal actually is okay with Nara's profession. Yes. Um, <laughs> he doesn't think, call her a whore in this, which is a dramatic step up, but... Yes, but I'm saying like where it's like they're actually together in a healthy, trusting oh, yeah, relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Anara continues her work because that's what Anara does, and Mal can finally grow up a little bit. That would, that be, would good, be a lovely but... that would be a lovely place for them to end up in. But uh, you know, we do not have any more Firefly. We do not have any more Serenity, and there will never be any more. So we probably shouldn't dwell on this too long. But I think that's kind of what I I think when we live in an age where there's a lot of shitty villains in these big type of action space or just action movies in general. They kind of make the movie itself a little less satisfying. Here we get a really, really great individual villain, a great behind-the-scenes kind of scary government shadowy villain, and that makes this movie really, really satisfying while still taking all of our characters on a nice journey and while still setting things up for lots of great stuff to come. And that's kind of a remarkable accomplishment for this movie. Definitely. Huge fan of the movie. Very fun movie. Yeah. Um, I was really looking forward to watching it the, the entire time we were we were watching the yes. series and having to stop myself because I thought, you know, this must pay off. You must make it pay off. And it did. And, you know, it's it's a movie that, like I said, I, I've told the story, like, I just had a friend who just, we would go see everything that was out, and I don't know if he knew what it was. I certainly didn't. Hadn't seen a trailer, hadn't seen a poster, nothing. It was just, oh, we're going to see a film called Serenity. Okay, cool. And I saw it all these years ago, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, it's a little hit the ground running, not a huge amount of backstory. Here we go, uh, kind of movie. And then years later, I would discover what the hell Firefly was and, and like figure all this out, how it fit together. You also saw the movie first, and then, and then the show. I think it bears talking about that it does work as a standalone piece. Like, whenever you're making anything like this, you have to account for people that haven't seen your show. Joss Sweden talks about remaking the pilot a lot, just in case someone's jumped in on episode two or three or whatever. And Or seven. Or yes. seven, yeah. So while there are a few little moments, and we'll, we'll talk about this in both ways, I do think it works remarkably well as just a, here's a movie you know everything you need to know. I think that first scene does that. Like, the one that... You know, that dialogue is a little off, but I think it's because they're trying to serve this master of, of exposition where Mal refers to everyone, like, by name, and you kind of get a bullet point of what everyone does on the ship, almost, and, like, who they are. Yeah, I, th- I think... And you get... Uh, the, the very beginning of the movie, you get more exposition on the background of, of the world of the show than you get in the entire TV show uh, as yes. they say what happened, which is which is great in some ways. So yeah, I, I think it works really well. The, I don't know what it reminded me of. Like it's it's a better movie than this, but 
for some reason I think of like Iron Flux or something like that, where it's just here's a weird world with a unique bent to it, and we're just gonna go. As, and for years, that's what I thought this was. I did not realize it was the conclusion of Firefly. Um, how do you think it did as a standalone project? I mean, it obviously worked because I liked it way before yeah. I even knew there was a show or I really understood the show. And yeah. um, you know, you have your main characters; they all have satisfying journeys. You get plenty of good action. You have a great villain. The plot is fun. It feels inventive and new if you've never seen the show. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost... Well, I guess that kind of leads my question. Do you think Serenity is a better movie than Firefly is a show? <sighs> no. No? I would say no. I would say no. no. I'm pretty firm in the no camp. I think... Um, I've never really uh, tried to think about it that way before. I I have a very strong feeling of, about Serenity, but that may just be because it's I have that specific childhood me- or teenage memory uh, that is clouding yeah. that up. But like to me, like I feel like I've seen you know maybe a thousand movies better than Serenity, but I've only seen <laughs> you know maybe a couple dozen shows at most better than Firefly. And not to say that there aren't way more better things than the others. I'm just saying I haven't seen them all. But um, you I just, seen, it, like, sorry, it, sorry, sorry. Can we stop this podcast right now? Seen you haven't seen them all, all. of them. I haven't what? seen all of the movies. I've seen all of them. What I thought oh. I've seen over two hundred and fifty of them. Have you got a um, list? I actually do have a list. Yeah, so I think so like in that sense it's almost it was almost always going to be a letdown. Like this was never going to be fucking Citizen Kane. And not that Firefly is a Citizen Kane of T V shows, but like it's I I think this world lends itself better to T V than a movie. Yeah. But given that, they made a pretty damn impressive movie. They did. There are certain things you don't get from the movie that you get from... I mean, obviously, nuance and character and also, like, development. We, we don't have to choose. We have both. It, it's great. This is true. But if we're talking about it as a standalone project, I think it does bear mentioning that there are certain... like oh, As I said, like you're not going to get all the character development and the nuance because you don't have as much time to play with. But in terms of major elements of the plot, uh, there are some things you don't get. I had no clue about this Chinese-American like mashup thing uh, at the time I wasn't able to pick out that they were speaking Mandarin I just assumed it was some made up alien language so come at me or teenage me anyone who's offended by that you don't have any idea what Anara does for a living and you have no idea that Book used to be part of that crew I was I was quite shocked to learn what Anara does uh, yes. when I watched the show because I was like oh well that was nowhere in this film but you know they they had a lot to try and get through, and like it's very breezy and it's not super explainy, which I appreciate. So I will let them off all of these things. This is going quite long, but screw it, it's the end of this of this uh, podcast mini series. So before we get out of it, but it's not, but it, 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 it it's confusing. Yeah, um, you know, right? So there's a collector's edition. You own it, yes, because uh, you you like ago. owning things more than you like having money. So. Let's yes. talk. A decade. This is a decade old collector's edition. At least when I bought it, it's probably even older. It has a bevy of special features. It has Ooh. only two commentaries, which I was actually a little disappointed. Uh, the Joss Whedon one, which I think is on the original DVD, is um, you know very Joss Whedon-y, very informative, very self-deprecating. Uh, if you enjoy the process of what it's like to know or to know the process of what it's like to actually make a story and make a film, very interesting. Uh, there's also a cast one with Whedon, uh, Nathan Fillion, Adam Baldwin, Ron Glass, and Summer Glau, which feels kind of random. But, uh, <laughs> you got Ron Glass in there? Yes. Oh, look at all uh, these things. Which is I'm great, just because it's just every like ten minutes, so Nathan Fillion just goes, "So, Ron, what did you think it was like? What did you like think about this scene? Um, <laughs> what was it like to make this scene?" 
like affiliated really dominates it and uh, but you do just get a sense of how much fun the cast had together and it's fun it feels like you're watching it with them which is fun hmm. you get to see the full version of the fruity odie bars yeah uh, they put in way too much effort into the fruity odie bars commercial but that's what makes this movie great of course you can never For, put too much effort into anything yes. like thomas yes you get to see the official uh, Joss Whedon's intro for a special fan screening from before the film was finished. Yep. Whedon, there was kind of like a little bit of a cult element to a uh, cult leader element to Whedon's intro. And since he was trying to really get the fans to turn this into a big deal, this movie into a big deal. Brown coats, kinda, please use the terminology. That, those kinds of things always kind of turn me off, but you know, whatever, know. you got to advertise the movie. I'm not saying like a brown coat thing. I just mean like Whedon's, uh, yeah, intro yeah. in itself kind of turned me Evangelical. Uh, yes. He got a nice little feature on this random veteran cinematographer who did not work on the show but worked the movie and all of his like children also worked on it. That was cute. You get a tour of the new ship. It's a more expensive version of the TV ship. The extended scenes you do nothing. The extended scenes do nothing to show what Anara does for a living. The deleted scenes finally do though. And uh, you do get to see Amal Anara. They have a lot more beats. You get this. There's a feature called "A Filmmaker's Journey," which was overly long, if I recall correctly. No. But it was cool to see all the stunt work the actors did. Yeah, they all the actors pretty much do all their stunts. Yeah, uh, too much. There's of them. A, a feature called "Future History," where yep. Joss says that the Civil War, America's Civil War, inspired him to make Firefly, mm-hmm. and he wanted to focus on the losers. For those of you who can keep track of all that in your head, that means he wanted to focus on the Southerners who lost. He said, but thankfully Mal was not defending slavery, although that would have been an excellent twist. <laughs> what if Miranda was that? That was what Mal, Mal's planet, home planet, where he ends up. <laughs> There's another feature called Relighting the Firefly, uh, yeah. which you get a brief look into the period between Firefly getting canceled and Stranded getting made, yada, yada, yada. What's in a Firefly? If you really, really care about the technical aspects of making a movie, I do not. That's the one for you. Uh, that you've seen this session four sixteen, which yeah. is this collection I have to seek of this shorts out on YouTube. The rest of this that you've mentioned is on the DVD. Yeah, this is a collection of shorts covering Rivers' time being interviewed by a subject of the Alliance. It was kind of cheesy. Yes, it looked very much like Josh Whedon. It Josh, is Josh Whedon. Whedon. It was very cheesy. It was very low rent, low budget. They made uh, it in actually, like an hour or something. Yes, don't don't watch it. It adds nothing. And then the most embarrassing thing ever, you get to see the Sci-Fi Channel inside uh, edition of Serenity. Adam Baldwin hosts this like 20-minute featurette on the movie. It's just a giant 20-minute commercial for the movie. It is so bad. Adam Baldwin gets the worst lines ever to say as he's hosting the show. Don't, don't, don't watch this. I don't know. Oh, I watched so a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, Batman 89 and uh, Batman Returns featurettes, and they had some pretty terrible stuff with Chris O'Donnell and and I don't have those DVDs and I don't have to watch them so I don't care but yeah uh, overall here's the thing about special features on DVD they almost all suck they do it's a shame I'm drawn to them and spend more money on things to get them and then I'm like yes okay they, I have in my time of watching them. The only things I really like on DVDs that you can't get from renting it for two dollars on Amazon or something are the commentaries. Yeah, and the commentaries here are good. They are fun. Yeah, I think one of them is exclusive to the collector's edition. Edition and the collector's edition comes in a box, and I like boxes. Yeah, that, uh, I'm more drawn to physical, like the packaging, the front covers. Yeah. Now, am I going to spend twenty dollars to get the Logan Steel box edition? Yes. Is the $9 edition the exact same? Yes. yes. 
But did I buy the 3D version of Days of Future Past because I like the front cover more than the Blu-ray version? Yes. I like boxes. Uh, oh, man, simple taste. I like the box. What's in the box? <sighs> That's a movie reference. Yes. And, uh, you know, I can't think of a better way to end Matt and I's time together on uh, Firefly Now Serenity later than with that incredibly lame rundown on the special features of the incredibly lame uh, collector's edition. For and the incredibly lame Shredding. reference I made to finish that out. So, yes. yeah, like, like I said at the top of the show, we will have Kevin... Uh, special guest. Ah, fuck it. Kevin Ford uh, next week giving his thoughts on uh, on the movie as someone who did watch this show before the movie. Uh, yes. That'll be fun. It's a bonus episode, but me and Mike yes. are done with this. We're done with Firefly, done with Serenity. I'm sad about that. I've enjoyed this a lot. Great show. I don't know Great if show. I've seen dozens of, of shows better. I don't know if I've seen a thousand movies better than Serenity, but, you know, different strokes. I like them both quite a lot. And, yeah, we, we will be done uh, after this. Me and Kevin will be back next week. You may be wondering what is next for us. You probably aren't. You probably are like, oh, cool, I'm done with the Firefly stuff. Fuck these dudes. But we're going to do Spider-Man. Uh, I, I will reveal now. Uh, we will be doing three special episodes, uh, one on each era of Spider-Man. So the first one up will be the Sam Raimi trilogy, followed by the Mark Webb. Oh, God, perfect person to direct Spider-Man called Webb. The Amazings. And then we will, uh, if all is timed right, we will uh, be able to discuss Homecoming and uh, Tom Holland as, as the new Spider-Man. We won't hear any of for like a month. Yes, well, there will be... For some... reasons that we cannot uh, declassify, unfortunately. No. Um, but um... Some time will be filled. There will be yes. some audio from us. There'll there may stuff. be a little break. I will bring some stuff some people's way, hopefully. Uh, and and um, then be go read eight questions after watching Wonder Woman. Eight, not ten. Eight. Pretty Oti Bars Pretty Oti Bars